This episode of the Ghost Story Guys is brought to you by Studio Headphones. The pair they sent in is the Studio Regent, which is their premium on-ear model, with impeccable clarity in the instrumental tones and well-balanced sound. With 24 plus hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life, the Regent is the perfect companion for you at home or on the go. The Regent also has interchangeable caps so you can personalize them with white or black marble design. For chuckles, I like to imagine Ian sitting at home and dressing up his headphones like a Ken doll. To try Studio for yourself, head to studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O.com, and enter the promo code GhostStoryGuys at checkout for 15% off your order. Studio also offers free shipping, so the price you see is the price you pay. That's studio.com, enter the promo code GhostStoryGuys for 15% off your first order. And now, on with the show. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 26, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Brennan. How are you? Well, the tsunami gave up before it got here, so I am good. Yeah, no, I, that was kind of, in retrospect, that was kind of scary. Yeah, I, I heard they opened an evacuation center in Esquimalt, and they were knocking on doors telling people to get out. Wow. Yeah. And and from what I understand, the entire tsunami caused one foot in the increase in the swell. <laughs> yeah. So we were, okay. Did they do that where you were in James Bay? Or? I don't think so. Well, what do you mean you don't think so? They had your... Did it or they didn't. I slept through the whole thing. <laughs> of course you did. I, I woke up. I woke up. I was laying. I woke up and I looked at my phone. Like, tsunami warning. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's bad. Swipe. Tsunami <laughs> warning canceled. Oh, okay. Good enough. Yeah. Roll uh, over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. No, I'm, it, my thing is, my, the thing that annoys me is the tsunami picked a really bad time. Like, that. that is inconvenient. <laughs> in what way do you think it was a bad time? Well- I mean, it's the middle of the friggin' night. How am I supposed to get up? I'm like, I'm gonna get up at five in the morning and check my phone. So, a natural disaster should happen on your <laughs> schedule. It just doesn't work for me. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I know. I understand that this is it's a life or death situation, and, and it really threw me off because I think it threw a lot of people off. Yeah. The next day was very weird in the atmosphere. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was just not not as weird as those poor buggers in Hawaii. No, Man, that missile I, oh, thing. Yeah, I'm not even gonna make a joke about that. That's just terrifying. No, no, that's not cool. But you know, it's funny you said that about it being weird the next day because I remember the last big earthquake we had here in Victoria, and it went around 11:30 midnight. Right. I don't think anybody slept well that night. If you were up and you felt it, because the next day, the whole day felt weird. It was it, it, when that happens. I think it kind of resets something in you. Yeah, it might be. I, th- I th- was that re- last couple of years. That couple one? years ago, yeah. I was in no where was I? I was outside of Tim Hortons when that hit. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. I was, I was just having donuts. Eleven thirty at night. <laughs> coffee at eleven thirty at night. Thank you. Even a smarter idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm glad you appreciate that. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, and I stepped outside, and all of a sudden I hear bang, 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 and I thought, what the hell is going? And yeah, earthquake. Yeah, that for was... me, I was in my living room, and the house shook a little, and I went, okay, there was a bit of, and then it started to really oh, I shake. Fell out of bed. No, no, I was sitting on the couch, and then it really right. started to shake, and I thought, oh, it's this is big, this is right. going to be the big one, and. Then it went away. Yay. Jesus. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, we never, obviously growing up in Rellstoke, earthquakes were not a concern. Tsunami's Mm-mm. not a concern. Mm-mm. Death Mm-mm. of boredom, sure. But, yeah. But yeah. worrying about all this garbage is just not no. something I ever had to deal with. Well, my brother asked me, my brother in Alberta said, aren't you scared of dying in an earthquake? And I said, eh, you got to die somehow. Well, may that's, yeah. May as well go big. Can't die old age. No. <laughs> Crushed by building. At least I'm not going to freeze to death. Well, that yeah, that's true. So there's a plus in there. In the nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> I meant winter. Oh. Canadian winter. Oh, oh not nuclear but winter. No, okay. not no, nuclear no, winter. Fair enough. That's I mean, a concern a, as well. Yeah, but yeah, I know. Yeah. I've been in a dark place lately. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Just watching the news. <laughs> Don't do that. No, no, no. No. And, and I know we, we, we try not to get political at all in the show, but I will say one time I remember everyone feeling kind of floaty and strange was when I was in L.A. in 2016, the day after the election. Oh, yeah. That everyone, I went, uh, yeah. I was staying in an Airbnb just off of Hollywood, went for breakfast at a little place, and uh, no one knew what to do. No, no. one knew what was happening. No. Everyone was just in a fog. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was a strange time. And uh, that morning after the tsunami, very, very much like yep. that. I, I I totally get that. But uh, since we didn't end up ghosts, we're going to talk about some. Excellent. We'll be talking about fairies right. this week. Right. This is the first week that Luke has uh, been all hands on. Yes, thank and you, Luke. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, he was he was great. We uh, we would have been hooped without him. <laughs> and also, this episode we have another musical guest, mm-hmm. Darko Richards. Darko is a synthwave artist out of Miami, Florida, and his new album, Point of Departure, rather his debut album, Point of Departure, just dropped late last year. The track we'll be playing on today's show is the second one off that album, entitled Anima. And you can find Darko's work on Bandcamp at uh, darkorichards.bandcamp.com or on Spotify, Google Music, and the other usual streaming services. Coming up right after this, we're going to dive straight into some fairies. (laughs) The anima is a personification of all feminine psychological tendencies in a man's psyche, such as vague feelings and moods, prophetic hunches, receptiveness to the irrational, capacity for personal love, feeling for nature, and, last but not least, his relation to the unconscious. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is going to be all about fairies. 
which bars they like, what designers they're currently wearing. No, no, <laughs> no, we're not talking about that at all. I thought we agreed. We did. And what happened? I'm sorry. I wish I believed you. <laughs> I remember growing up actually in the UK and my mom and my grandmother sort of semi-threatening me with fairies, believe it or not. Really? Uh, yeah. They would say things like, oh, they're at the bottom of the garden. Don't go down there. Oh. Um, or, oh, look, a fairy ring, right? The circle of mushrooms in the forest. Not what I was thinking. So, uh, enough. <laughs> Jesus. Um, you know, there's the fairy ring. Stay away from that or you be you better behave or the fairies will take you away or that might have been gypsies. I don't <laughs> <laughs> what a fear and subtle racism when you were growing up in England. Well, yeah, it was the 70s. I think oh, it was still well. fair game. Um, I, or it was sell me to the gypsies, although I could never <laughs> figure out why they would pay. That seemed really odd to me because if my parents didn't want me, why would the gypsies pay for me? Well, and the thing is, too, I mean, on one hand, they always talk about gypsies. They complain about gypsies stealing everything. Right. But then you're going to sell them to gypsies. Yeah, that's not going to work. I just sort of imagine them leaving you in an unlocked car, <laughs> like in the glove box or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's what they, if, if, if the gypsies are actually thieves, then that yes. would be how you. That could. probably would be a smarter way to get rid of a child. Yeah, I'm telling you. Well, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we have decided to take a look at fairy lore and some modern encounters as well. And we had no idea how big a pool we were jumping in. No. No, no not at all. And, and there are libraries worth of print material on the yeah. subject. Uh, not to mention the absolutely overwhelming amount of information online, uh, which thanks to Luke, we did not have to navigate. God love Luke. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So rather than give a comprehensive overview of the whole fairy phenomenon, which I, I think would take a long time and... You know, I don't think we're equipped to do. <laughs> we're going to give you a quick little primer and then jump right into some stories we found and, and just see what we can take away from it all. Also, Luke gave us some info which cast one of my recent experiences in a new light. So we'll get to that later too. Oh, you didn't mention that one at lunch. No, at lunch? No. No, at lunch I was busy stuffing Benadryl down my throat after eating those goddamn peanuts. <laughs> well, yeah, that wasn't one of our more productive lunches. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. Free tip, folks. If you decide to try new things in a dim sum restaurant and you have food allergies, make sure to ask questions first. That was pretty bad. I mean, I have more experience dealing with allergy attacks than other people than you do. Right. And after you hadn't gone into cardiac arrest <laughs> or stopped breathing within 10 minutes, I figured you were going to be okay. But it was still a crappy way for you to spend the afternoon because Benadryl will do nothing if not make you sleepy. I slept so much. I can't even imagine. Oh, man. That was awful. And you also hate leaving food behind. I yeah, that was forty dollars worth of Chinese food. I, I had to leave. I like those shrimp dumplings. Sorry, they they are amazing. We'll we'll do a redo. Okay, all right. Anyway, we were talking about fairies. Yes, uh, something that caught my eye early on was how the different creatures who populate fairy lore resemble other things in what you might call paranormal literature. Right. I mean, because we're focused, we focused our reading on England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, and each has their own set of creatures who technically fall under the banner of fairy, but are not typically called that. Exactly. Yeah, they're not fairies, but they do things we associate with fairies and, and a few other things. Um, for instance, in England, there are the pucks who go by other names as well, but we'll right. stick to pucks to make it easier. Right. Uh, according to the legends, Puck does that classic trick of leading people away and confusing them. And what's really interesting, though, is the description of them given in the 1648 manuscript The Anatomy of Melancholy by Robert Burton. I'm just going to read it directly. Those which Mazaldus call ambulons, that walk about midnight on great heaths and desert places, which draw men out of the way and lead them all night to byway, or quite bar them of their way. These have several names in several places. We commonly call them pucks. In the deserts of Lop, in Asia, such illusions of walking spirits are often perceived. If one lose his company by chance, these devils will call him by his name, and counterfeit voices of his companions to seduce him. That's interesting, because the puck I was used to is the one from A Midsummer Night's Dream. I have not read that. 
Where did you go to school? Like, did they actually have a, a thing in your school where there was like reading or did you just hit rocks together? <laughs> I did read Romeo and Juliet, though, for the record. And okay. Hamlet, you elitist swine. <laughs> That's something, I guess. Uh, I mean, I have to confess, I probably would not have read it on my own. But I was actually in the play Midsummer Night's Dream in high school. And that is where I learned I'm not a very good actor. <laughs> it was a bit crushing because I thought I was. And then I got in the play and I'm like... Nope. <laughs> I am not that good. And that's when I switched to music, actually. Oh, okay. Because that was something I could do that other people couldn't do. There you go. <laughs> and I look forward to the day when you triumphantly return to music. Yeah, that'll be happening. Um, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, Puck is a trickster, but not an evil one. He's actually a pretty fun guy. Yeah, this this Puck isn't. No. no. What Burton was describing is a spirit who walks the empty places looking for men he can lead astray to their deaths, sometimes by mimicking the voices of people they know. But there's a creature described in Native American folklore who wanders the desert doing exactly the same thing. Skinwalkers. Yeah. So you think Puck and Skinwalkers are the same thing? It could very well be. Do you think um, something like Will of the Wisps would be involved? Because my understanding of that was, uh, growing up, was they were famous for uh, the lights would show up and people, travelers would think they were a house or a carriage or a, an inn, and really they were being let out onto the moor or the heath to, towards their deaths. Right. I mean, it, I tend to think that's more just like fairy lights, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't mimic anything other than strange lights. Right. I mean, okay. it might beguile you in a certain way, but I don't think it's the same thing. Although that does remind me of that time I slept in the car near that Indian graveyard. Yeah. And through that night, through the the, the fog, I kept seeing this flashing blue light. And there you go. yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was. I I just thought, oh, it's a farmhouse. But you wonder, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to skinwalkers, though, I mean, of course, it's said they can adopt the characteristics of people in order to fool you. Right. And there was a story I heard uh, from San Jose, California, uh, about these two kids having a sleepover on this remote property. It was um, they li- it was like a, almost like a fenced-off compound yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah. was a couple mobile homes. In there. Sure. The kids were doing their video game thing in one, and the kid's mother lived, you know, the, the main, was staying in the main trailer. Right. And the bathroom was in the main trailer. Okay. So, you know, if you want, if you had to go, you had to get up and leave the one trailer, go to the other. And so eventually the one kid, not the person who lived there, but the friend went to the bathroom and the kid, the fr- eventually the, the kid who was having the party thought, geez, he's taking a long time. So he went over to the main trailer and he was standing outside the bathroom uh, door just about to call to his friend when he, he realized, oh no, he's, he's, there he is. He's behind me. I didn't notice him there. Right. And the friend, he, he would talk, but he said his voice didn't sound right. And finally his, the, the, the main kid's raised his voice because he was kind of freaked out. He said, what are you doing? Why are you being like this? And then he heard his friend call him from behind the bathroom door. Whoa. He was still in the can and he had just heard his friend talking. Oh, not cool. No, no, no. And when the kid looked at the bathroom door, then went to look at the doppelganger, doppelganger was gone. Wow. Yeah. And so after that, they went back out to the trailer to play video games. But, and later in the night, they heard what sounded like his mother outside telling them to come outside. Right. But again- she wouldn't come in and she sounded robotic and cold. Right. And so he called out for his mother. He heard her shout from the other trailer. And so whatever was outside wasn't his mother. Wow. So yeah. do you think that the, it's, whatever it was, knew those boys were sort of semi-isolated? And, sure, yeah. And took a, a, a bigger run at them? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Not, not cool. No, 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 not at all. Uh, so when you're up on the heather of a night, be careful who and what you follow. <laughs> yeah. Another fairy creature that shares characteristics with these type of things is the brownie, not the kind who sell cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and in reading about the brownie, I think I may have solved a mystery. 
The brownie is very much a Scottish thing. They pronounce it closer to Bruni, but I'm not going to do that because it would sound silly coming from me. Yeah, you need the accent for that. Yeah. It's a my kilt. Okay, thank you for that. That was disgusting. So, <laughs> no more talking till I'm done. Okay. All right. So, the brownie is said to be a domestic entity who takes care of the household and demands fair compensation in exchange, but gets annoyed if you over or underpay him. He's hairy, nude all the time, and offended if anyone offers him clothes. He's also extremely strong, average height, and if he's not working at home, he's usually out hiding in the hollow of a tree or in old ruined castles. Okay. So he's hairy, strong, wears less clothes than he should, despite what anyone asks, is a pain in the ass to work with, spends his free time alone in creepy places, oh, and he breathes like a steam engine having sex with an old dog. <laughs> I think you're a brownie. Oh, f- you. <laughs> you can't deny how close that is. I don't believe you about the breathing. I um, don't believe it. it. It says right there. They are said to pant and breathe heavily. And the dog thing? Well, that's just funny. <laughs> you <laughs> interesting to note though that dobby the house elf from harry potter uh l- works around the house and is freed if offered clothing so i guess now we know what inspired the author because she was living in scotland when she wrote oh the of harry course potter yeah. book, so that actually makes sense and but apparently with brownies they get offended yeah they're annoyed so and, and also too if you there's a story in fairy tradition in britain where a brownie worked really hard extra hard one day so right. they gave him more food right and he got really pissed and he took off Oh, so there's a delicate balance with the temperamental brownie. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> this is my job. I do my job. You leave me alone. Right. I, wow. As a spokesman for my people. <laughs> I don't think you work hard enough to qualify. <laughs> I think you're, you're there's a bit of a loophole there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm a smart brownie. No, I figured out how brownie. to get out from under. Dobby has no master. <laughs> was there any other reason you wanted to bring up the brownie or was it just a... With me. Yeah, well, there was one other thing. There's a story from the 16th century about a town called North Berwick, where the people had to deal with a spirit that laughed and threw stones at their houses. It's kind of a thin connection, but there are stories from North America about Sasquatch throwing stones at people in buildings. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And as you've helpfully pointed out, the brownie is hairy. Yeah. Is it tall? Well, there's some stories where he's tall, but generally, no. Brownies are described as being middle height. Which is perfectly adequate. <laughs> but not all reported Bigfoot sightings average. are tall, people right? like average. Oh, Jesus. Just stop. Not all reported Bigfoot sightings are tall, are they? Uh, no. No, that's true. Um, I mean, I don't know a lot about Sasquatch, but I do have a report in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere fine books oh, are sold. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Also, uh, Largely the Truth, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Pacific oh, on 92.5 like... Stoke FM or via the web at StokeFM.com. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> I have a book, too. Do you? Yeah. What's it called? It's called... <laughs> 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 Never mind. No, push your book. No, it's fine. No. His book is called A Strange Little Place. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria's Most Haunted, available everywhere fine books are sold. Yeah. Anyway. The report I had in the book is from someone I trust, and what they saw was a little over five feet tall. Oh, okay. uh, You were not a big Bigfoot guy either, right? No, not at all. I think it's garbage, but I still still read the report sometimes. I mean, it's interesting. People definitely have experiences. There's a missing 411 story that kind of involves something like this. I'm trying to remember. Something like Bigfoot took the children? (laughs) Well, kind of. Yeah, I (laughs) know. No, there are a couple stories about kids being snatched by animals that don't seem to behave the way you expect them to, uh, but I'm not going to get into that. No, the one I was thinking of was where two kids between five and ten years old went missing in the forest, and when they were finally located, they said they'd been hiding from searchers because they thought they were angry gorillas. Oh, wow. 
like uh, they thought it was a Sasquatch or they're just stupid kids? <laughs> well, I mean, that's possible. <laughs> um, I was just thinking it's, it's a really specific thing to be afraid of. I mean, it could just be kids whining each other up or, you know, just fear. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, knowing about things like Sasquatch and brownies, you kind of wonder. Yeah, I mean, it could be some kind of nature spirit. No, that's it, right? I mean, the fairy folk are very much believed to be spirits of the land. 100%, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like a natural, sort of part of a natural world that exists alongside ours. Right. I mean, some stories are actually representation of the land, but then in others, they're more stewards of it. Like Ferngully. I, I don't think I've seen Ferngully. <gasps> I've finally seen a movie you haven't? You, yeah. It's it's essentially one of the very first sort of anti um, or pro-environmental Movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, where the big developers are coming and the fairies in Ferngully have to try and stop them from coming. Oh, kind like of like uh, Avatar. Avatar. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> when I watched Avatar, I'm like, I've seen this movie before. But not with hot aliens. With guys. a lot less guns, yeah. Well, and guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Avatar is just a, a jumped up version of Ferngully. Can you imagine? Now, I really liked Avatar, but can you imagine trading your your human existence for an alien body? Then finding out that what they call sex is basically just tying your hair together. Yeah, no. I would be so bummed. Yeah, not cool. Uh, not cool. Right, but when do we? Yeah. Oh no, like check under your your cat skirt. You you don't got shit. You <laughs> <laughs> <Go> over. <laughs> Anyways, there's a similarity between a story Luke found and a book that was recently covered on Mysterious Universe. Um, but I'll get to that in a bit. But you know what really surprised me about fairies? Hmm. The size thing. Oh, yeah. Well, most people think of fairies as tiny little things, but that's not how it's been for most of history. There are a ridiculous number of sources. In, in the legends of King Herla, the elfin king was described as being of pygmy proportions. But in the old English poem, Orfeo and Herodas, they're described as human size. Yeah, see, I always thought of them as tiny things with wings. Which is because most of our visual understanding of fairy folk comes from a mishmash of leprechaun stories of the 19th century, English and Germanic folklore. It's sort of a mess. I mean, North Americans basically grabbed a bunch of Irish legends and sawed off enough around the edges <laughs> until they could fit it into our simple minds. Um, and the other thing that was big on where we get our idea, it's kind of like Santa Claus didn't hit that modern idea of Santa didn't come until Coca-Cola brought it to us. Right. Um, and there was a big kind of scandal uh, that got some celebrities of the day caught up into it with fairies. There were these two girls. Oh, the Cottingly fairies. Yes. Yeah, we're actually going to go into that more on another episode. Oh, sorry. So, nice work, Ian. But it does contribute to what we oh, think sure. of as yeah, fairies. absolutely. With those simple cutouts. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And we're good at screwing up nature things. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so getting back to the whole nature spirit thing, yeah. uh, there's a great example of that in Ireland, and that's the story of the- Two are they done on? <laughs> what was that? I didn't want to screw up the pronunciation of- Two are they done on? So I outsourced it. Oh my God. So we never have to say- Two are they done on? Again, try it. It's fun. All right. Two are they done on? That is fun. Right? <laughs> Best idea I've ever had. Outsourcing is the future of podcasts. Oh, my God. I can't you paid for that? I paid $7 for that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So the name essentially translates to people of the god Danan, but there's no real consensus on who or what Danan is. So calling them people of the gods works as well as anything. Um, Ireland apparently doesn't really have a creation myth. Instead, it's sort of taken as given that the island has always been there mm. and in ancient times was subject to waves of invaders. Right. The two were they done on were said to be the fifth wave of invaders. That guy's getting touchy. Yeah. And when they arrived to Ireland, they fought and defeated the previous wave known as the Fair Bolic. After defeating the Fair Bolic, the <sighs> two were they done on elected a king named Bresh. Since when are kings elected? 
Uh, since the Irish said so. Okay. If you as an Englishman want to go find an Irishman and tell him why he's wrong. No, I'm good. We've done enough of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they elected a king. They did. Mm. His name was Bresh, and he was half... No, that's all you paid me for, and I'll not be saying it again. You're on your own, boys. Uh, so he was half people of the gods then, <laughs> and uh, half a race known as the Favori. So uh, the people of the gods won that battle, but eventually more invaders, the Milesians, would come, and that battle they lost. The legends say they were forced to the hills and mounds, the underworld. The idea of fairies existed long before the people of the gods came, so after they fell to the Milesians, they were kind of what you might call demoted. And then when Christianity came, they were kind of bundled into it as fallen angels. Right. And eventually they were just lumped into pre-existing fairy lore as spirits of the vegetation. Kind of caretakers of the land. Right. So in the Old Red Sandstone by Hugh Miller, which is a very boring 1841 (laughs) book about geology in Scotland, there's a story about a particular ravine that the burn of Ethi runs through. So according to Miller, on a Sunday afternoon sometime in the 1790s, two children, a brother and sister, had managed to skip church, God bless them, and were (laughs) relaxing in the ravine. I love the language Miller uses, and he's too dead to sue us, so I'm just going (laughs) to read the words directly, okay? There's a cluster of turf-built cottages grouped on the southern side of the ravine, a few scattered knolls and a long, partially wooded hollow. There seems to be sort of a quartered way leading to the recesses of the dell, interposed between them and the near edge, and the hill rises behind. On a Sabbath morning nearly sixty years ago, the inmates of this little hamlet had all gone to church, all except a herd boy and a little girl, his sister, who were lounging beside one of the cottages. When, just as the shadow of the garden dial had fallen on the line of noon, they saw a long cavalcade ascending out of the ravine through the wooded hollow. It winded among the knolls and bushes, and turning round the northern gable of the cottage, beside which the sole spectators of the scene were stationed, began to ascend the eminence towards the south. The horses were shaggy, diminutive things, speckled, dun, and grey. The riders, stunted, misgrown, ugly creatures, attired in antique jerkins of plaid, long grey cloaks, and little red caps, from under which their wild, uncombed locks shot out over their cheeks and foreheads. The boy and his sister stood gazing in utter dismay and astonishment as rider after rider, each one more uncouth and dwarfish than than the one that had preceded it, passed the cottage and disappeared among the brushwood, which at that period covered the hill, until at length the entire route, except the last rider, who lingered a few yards behind the others, had gone by. "'What are you, little Manny, and where are you going?' inquired the boy." his curiosity getting the best, better of his fears. Not of the race of Adam, said the creature, turning for a moment in his saddle. The people of peace shall never more be seen in Scotland. Like they knew which way the wind was blowing and were leaving us behind. Pretty much, yeah, that's about right. You said that story reminded you of something you heard. What What was it? Well, it was on a recent episode of Mysterious Universe. Uh, they, they covered a book called Talking with Spirits, Ethnographies from Between the Worlds. Okay. Uh, and it's described on Amazon as a cross-cultural survey of contemporary spirit mediumship. Sounds impressive. Yeah. yeah you know, it was actually really interesting. Uh, the author traveled the world observing different kinds of mediumship. And the section that really caught my attention was on shamans in the Peruvian rainforest using ayahuasca to commune with what they called the owner of animals. Right which was kind of like the head spirit for the natural world. And if you had to make changes to the environment, like knocking down trees or mining, you would first consult with the owner of animals. But at one point, the author returned to visit a particular shaman, and he asked if he was still communing with with that particular entity. And the shaman told him it was no longer possible. Oh, wow. He said the spirit of the animals had been obliged to leave this place and go somewhere else. But he didn't know where. They were just 
gone. So again, like they were abandoning us. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, that's a bit like the elves leaving Middle Earth, like in Lord of the Rings. The elves are basically immortal. They won't age, but they can still be killed. And if they stay too long in Middle Earth, they end up sort of fading away. The souls of men moved on to whatever comes next, but Tolkien said the souls of elves would remain in Middle Earth until the end of time. And after that, no one knew what would happen. So in Fellowship, the elves began sailing for what they called the Blessed Realm, where they can be safe and properly live forever without any kind of threat. That sort of sounds like that. You're right, it does. I mean, I hadn't made that connection. And I mean, we've, of course, I'm not really a big Lord of the Rings guy. Right. I mean, I, I've watched the movies once. I each. read the books and I watched the movies, but I'm not obsessed See, with See, I've never read the books. books. Oh. Yeah, no, I never read the books. Oh, right, reading. <laughs> <laughs> I would, what does that even mean? <laughs> Anyway. Yes. We've talked a little bit about this in past, though. What seems like larger truths kind of buried in fiction. Yeah. Or, or fiction turning out to predict future events in a way. Right. Like the book that seemed to predict the Titanic sinking. I loved that book. I didn't realize you'd read it. Yeah. No, it's an amazing book. I was uh, Futility or The Wreck of the Titan. For those of you who don't know, it was about an ocean liner called the Titan on its maiden voyage, striking an iceberg and sinking. And, and it was said to be an unsinkable ship, the Titan. Yeah, it was written 14 years before the Titanic sank. And you're right, it was on its maiden voyage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was said to be unsinkable. Yeah. Uh, and then there were the Ingersoll Lockwood books about little Baron Trump, who journeys to Russia <laughs> looking for the entrance to another dimension. <laughs> really? Uh, that's a real book that was called Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's he is a Baron. Right. His name isn't Baron. Right. But Baron Trump. And he, yeah. And his, his, his advisor is, is, he's a Don. Right. But he's referred to as Don. Oh my so God. Baron Trump and Don. When did that get written? Uh, I want to say the, I can't remember specifically, but the late 19th century. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. There, there are two of them. Two Baron Trump books. And then his, uh, Lockwood's third book was called 1900 or The Last President. And it's about the election of a hugely unpopular presidential candidate that causes the country to go into uproar. And he lives in a hotel on Fifth Avenue. Come on. No, real, for real. For real. I mean, it, a lot of people pointed out there are, you know, like Fifth Avenue, there are a lot of the hotels. Well, Fifth no, Avenue. but to get that much of it, so coincidentally correct. Oh, I mean, yeah. I really do believe that sometimes you get these people who have dreams or they have these ideas for books and they write them not realizing they're actually experiencing something completely different. Uh, We have some actual fairy stories yet to come, but first we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. That's right, me again. Here to tell you about our sponsor, Studio Headphones. Studio wants to revolutionize the way you see headphones, not just as a tech device, but as an accessory, a combination of functionality and design. They also provide a product that they believe matches the quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. They also provide free worldwide shipping. I've switched to my Studio Tray wireless headphones full time now and I don't regret it. So that's one vote. Listeners to our show can get 15% off their order by going to studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O.com, and entering the promo code Ghost Story Guys at checkout. Again, that's studio.com, S-U-D-I-O. Enter the promo code Ghost Story Guys at checkout. And we're back. We've been talking about fairy lore and history with a lot of digressions, but we haven't had much in the way of the story. So we're going to start with one that actually echoes what we were talking about before the break. 
This story was given to Luke by a man named Mark, who received it himself from an author named Donald Orain. Orain wrote the book The History and Folklore of Partin and Malik, and in it, he tells the story of a woman named Irene Ahern. Ahern says that in 1956, she watched the fairies leave the fairy mound of Balananti before it was destroyed to make way for housing development. And uh, Balananti is a neighborhood in northern Limerick. It's actually close to Moiras, which is a fun coincidence because... Rachel G.W. sent me a great clip of kids from that area telling folklore stories as they understand them. Oh, cool. And there was a lot of great stuff about banshees. Nice. I, I admire that about the Irish, actually. These kids were living in 2010, but they still spoke about things like banshees and the headless horsemen as though they were persistent, vital threats. And, 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 and I mean, they might be. We have a banshee story coming up later. But also, I love the way they say banshee. Banshee. Well, no, they say banshee. 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 I, I'm not going to say it like that because that would... Be, I would just sound like an idiot. You're culturally appropriating them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, the, these little kids, this, the Banshee. Oh, it's just so great. And have you been to Limerick? No, no, I, I haven't. When I was there in 06 with my cousin, we had planned to go, but some ladies we were drinking with in Galway warned us off. Uh, there was this one woman, I think her name was Catherine. Uh, she was older, but she said, uh, so you're going to Stubb City? We couldn't understand what she had said. We're like, Stubb? Stubb? Stoop? She got really annoyed in that way only Irish people can. And she said, no, stop. And she made these stabbing motions. Oh, stab city. <laughs> stab city. Arr. Yeah, we made other plans. Good call. We went to Belfast early. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. Um, so tell us the stories of the fairies leaving Bellinanti. Well, there's not much to it. It was 1956 or thereabouts, and a fairy mound at Balananti was being bulldozed to make way for houses. And Irene says she saw a procession of figures about the size of children carrying bundles and walking north in the direction of Milik, and what she thought might be another fairy mound. A few years later, both Irene and her husband, who had doubted her sighting before, saw from a distance what looked to be a fairy funeral in Lower Malik. After the good folk left, Irene and her husband walked up to where the funeral had taken place, and sure enough, there was a small patch of freshly turned sod that looked like a grave. Later, they ran into someone else who had seen the same thing from a different angle, and their story synced up exactly with what Irene and her husband had seen. Well, so they can die just like elves. That or they're playing one hell of a prank on <laughs> Or they just didn't like him. <laughs> My sister, will you? Oh. Stay down there, you oh. bastard. Jesus, it always goes over to you. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mark himself had a pretty dramatic story from his visit. Oh, Lordy. I looked up. I tried to find a pronunciation of this. I couldn't. Oh, Moranaka. Morancha. Morancha. Why do you sound Italian? Morencia. Morencia. Spaghetti. <laughs> Pasta fazool. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Mark himself had a pretty dramatic story from his visit to... I don't think I can do it now. Monencha. I can't do it. Monencha. 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 Again, that is probably wrong. From, anyway, Mark himself had a pretty dramatic story from his visit to Monencha, which is an ancient monastery not far from Roscrea, which I'm probably saying wrong. According to 12th century Norman clergyman Gerald of Wales, there was something special about the site of Monencha. Specifically, it was said you could not die of old age. The story goes that Cromwell marched from Tenderi to Monencha in tin boots and then basically put the boots to the abbey. <laughs> I can understand why he was upset. Why? Well, tin boots are uncomfortable, and uh, it's a long way to Tipperary. Oh, my God. 
It's a long way to go. Oh, please stop. <laughs> that was terrible. I hope you feel bad. <laughs> I was going to say that this reminds me of my Cromwell story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell me that one. Yeah. Well, we were in Suffolk. We were there for New Year's, and uh, we decided to go with my grandparents to church on New Year's Eve. We were sitting there, and it's this massive... Anywhere else, this church would have been a cathedral, but this was just a regular village church. It was freezing cold. They actually had electrical heaters under the, the pews. That's how they heated the church, was under the pews, so that people would get the heat. That's safe, heating, directly heating wood. Right? So as we're sitting there, um, I'm noticing a lot of the gargoyles' faces have been, like, scratched off or blown off or something. It was quite weird that this had happened. And a lady sitting beside uh, us noticed me looking at this, and she said, oh, do you see that destruction? And I said, yes. And she said, that's from that horrible Cromwell and his men. <laughs> they did that. And I thought... Only in England would you be sitting here in like two, it was 2012 or something, and people are still mad about <laughs> Cromwell in the 1500s coming and, and mucking up the churches to scratch out any sign of papal, you know, hideous papalness. Uh, he was not a popular guy. No. No. Not, no. Hard, not hard to imagine why. But no. uh, anyways, you were telling Mark's story of being at... Monantra. Monantra. I tried. Everything else, I looked up pronunciations and tried my best. That's but okay. uh, this one, I could not find. So it's okay. Blame it's the right. internet. Yeah, well, I, I usually do. So the first part of this story, I'm going to read in his words. I was there all by myself and found myself so intrigued with the place, it felt almost impossible to leave. When I finally decided to go, every ounce of strength seemed to leave my body, and I felt as though if I didn't leave immediately, I would pass out, perhaps even die. This was very strange, as I was in very good health. I'd gotten enough sleep the night before and enjoyed a full Irish breakfast and was full of energy when I'd ridden a bicycle about a mile from my B&B to Manicha. I immediately recalled stories I'd read of the fairy folk taking people who remained too long in the wrong place. And while I'd never before believed such stories, I now became concerned. And though still feeling fate, managed to summon up enough strength to leave the island and make my way to the edge of where centuries before a bog had originally surrounded the island. The further I got away from the island, the better I felt. Upon reaching what had been the far bank of what had been the bog, I was feeling absolutely normal again. When I looked back at the island, I realized that, for the first time, that from a distance, if one can eliminate the abbey from one's mind, the whole island looks very much like a fairy fort. So we pedaled away along the unpaved road which leads to the island, turning left onto a paved road, and from there he explored the countryside a while. He then turned around to head back towards Rose... Rose Cree. Rose Cree. When he came back to the intersection with the dirt road, where a right turn would head back towards Manicha, the front wheel of his bicycle violently turned in that direction all by itself. Yikes. Yeah. He was literally pedaling back towards the old abbey without even meaning to, and that scared the hell out of him. He yanked the handlebars back in the opposite direction and pedaled like mad until he was far from that unpaved road. If I could perform any kind of vigorous exercise, I'd have done exactly the same thing. <laughs> that makes two of us. But you know what, what occurs to me? His description of what he felt on that island is a lot like what happened to you inside your apartment. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Uh, one of the things that's, that's also occurred to me in the week since that happened, and if, you, if anyone wants to know the story, uh, listen to our, our previous episode, number 25, where we talk about uh, the strange goings on in the, uh, the, in the new year. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so since that happened, I've wondered if that could be some kind of ferry road. Because I've, I've yeah. sort of since walked the area in the daytime, yeah. and all along that stretch... Not just where I usually walk. I walked all the way up the road, and it all has that feeling. Yeah. No, I, that makes sense to me. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all. 
Yeah. Um, but going back to Mark's thought about that feeling being the beginning of the fate taking him, I, I got to say the abduction part of fairy lore is the thing I find the most disturbing. Well, you're pretty obsessed with that, right? I mean- That's true. The yeah. 411 disappearances. Yep. But why could this not tie in with that? Well, you know, it, it's interesting actually. I mean, I think some people have posited that. Yeah. And th- there are things you could you could conceivably look at and, and sort of draw parallels to, but I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's that's a whole episode unto itself. Yeah. Although I, a little bit later, we'll talk about something that, that's sort of a possible tie that kind of occurred to me, but but that's a little bit later. But why does this specifically disturb you? Besides the obvious, obviously. Well, the fair. I think what really disturbs me is that wherever it is you are, you're in a world that you don't know the rules. Right. Yeah. And you're completely at the mercy of your surroundings and the people who brought you there. Mm-hmm. And you're trapped. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so allergic to the idea of being stuck in one place that it gives the whole abduction thing another layer it already didn't need. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily have to be taken. I mean, that's the thing that really gets me. Like Mark said, all you got to do is to be vulnerable is linger too long in the wrong place. Right. Like we said earlier, they're in the empty spaces. And that's where I spent a lot of my time. Yeah, that's a good point. Luke um, found another story about being led away that really creeped me out. But before we get to that, I was just reminded of something. At one point, I was given a tour of an old folks home that was said to have some activity going on. And this was on the night shift. And so everyone was in bed. Mm -hmm. But I was told that the basement is sort of uh, not unpleasant, but it's got some energy to it. And I was Mm -hmm. asked if I wanted to go Mm -hmm. check it out. Now, apparently the basement is almost never used. Right. And so when we went down there, it was interesting because the woman who works there walked ahead of me and we passed through one room. I felt a huge pressure on my chest. Right. But I didn't say anything. So we walked into the next room and this woman just went, oh. and I said, whoa. I said, what's up? And she goes, oh, she said, there's something in there right now because I had this crazy yeah. pressure on my chest. Yeah. And she said, I think we surprised it. Because there's almost never anyone down here anyways. Right. And never at night. Right. So I went back into that room because I'm stupid. Yeah. And I felt cold coming from that corner. So I started walking towards that far corner. As you do. Well, some, shut up. (laughs) The closer I got, the colder it got. Yeah. And the harder it became for me to keep moving. Mm -hmm. It was like something was slowing me down Mm -hmm. to the point where I could not continue. Yeah. I have heard of that before. And so I just think that, yeah, they... These things naturally collect in the empty places. Yeah. I mean, even here we had, we had the, uh, the, the studio smudged. Yep. And the person. Big difference, holy. Huge difference. And the person who did it said that the areas which were most affected, they pointed out the areas which were, which needed it the most. And they were areas where typically the people who are here do not go. Right. Except you. That's probably the places you're in all the time. (laughs) Well, one of those places actually is a desk I used to use. Oh, wow. And then I used to just, I started getting the sense that, oh, there's no room in that corner. I I can't get anything done over there. Right. And after it was smudged, I went over there and I realized, no, it it feels completely different. Wow. Like there's nothing taking up that room. There you go. Uh, The story Luke found, though, Mm -hmm. was told by a woman named Polly. Who, right. along with her family, was visiting Care Connor. Right. And Care Connor is a complex of five stone huts overlooking Dingle Bay in County Kerry. Yep. They were wandering the site when an elderly local man passed them walking his dog. Uh, he greeted them and started to walk away, but before he did, his dog disturbed a rabbit that then ran to Polly and her family in the ruins. Now, I, I don't know jack shit about animals, but according to Polly, rabbits are not common in that region, and you're more likely to see a common hare or a mountain hare. Uh, not only that, but there are no other rabbits around. I mean, I don't know if that's unusual. Like, say, for all I know, rabbits hunt solo. Um, hunt? You know they're herbivores, right? Sure. Let's pretend I know shit about rabbits. <laughs> yeah. Everything I know about rabbits, I learned from the novel Banicula. <laughs> I remember that book. Yeah, it was a good book. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, moving on. 
Polly also said that her grandfather was a native of the region and told her that leprechauns will sometimes take the form of rabbits to make a quick getaway from humans. Hmm. I, I couldn't find any corroboration for this online, but I mean, I didn't do an exhaustive search. Right. Uh, and it's possible it's local knowledge and not on the internet. Contrary to what a lot of people think, not all knowledge is on the internet. <laughs> uh, but either way, the rabbit caught the attention of Polly's two-year-old daughter, Sue, who wanted to pet it. But instead of shooting off when she approached, the rabbit would hop a few feet away, then wait. Right. Sue would approach again, the rabbit would move, and each time it seemed like they were getting closer and closer to a hole in the nearby hill. Mm-hmm. At that point, alarm bells went off in Polly's head yeah, because yeah. she remembered hearing folklore about fairies leading people through holes in the earth. Yeah. And even if this wasn't the good folk trying to nab the kid, it was a dangerous situation because the rabbit went into the hole in the hillside and the kid followed. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Not only that, she was in there. Oh, no. By the time they noticed what had happened, all that was outside was her feet. <gasps> yeah. They were able to pull her out. She was covered in baby spiders. <laughs> oh, that's going to set off some gross uh, oh, tension for some throw people. Throw it away and make another one. <laughs> oh, it's broken. It's broken. Yeah. Send it back. <laughs> Let the fair escape it. But yeah, I mean, once they brushed her down, she was fine. But, but think about that for a second. You turn your attention for just a moment, and the kid friggin' disappears, following a rabbit of all things. So does... Polly thinks that this was definitely a fairy thing? No, I think she's open to the idea it was just a rabbit. Yeah. So she's realistic. Yeah. Or, you know, at least as realistic as you can be while still floating the idea of paranormal kidnapping. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that scares me about fairy abduction is the time thing. Right. Because some people get returned from the fairy realm a long time after they went missing. Yeah. And yeah. that's actually common, not just to fairy lord, but that's a... Uh, in Chinese legends, oh. that's a thing too, and possibly other places, but I know of the one in, in the Chinese ones. Interesting. Yeah. And in fairy tradition in Britain, they actually mention seven years a like, bunch. Like like dog years? Like seven years? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's seven like, years in this world like, is like a year in fairy world or something? Or? That's actually, yeah, that's pretty oh, much okay. it. okay. Okay. Not even a year, but basically, yeah, you, you, you've been in their realm, it feels like a little while. Right. But- it's really been a long time. There's tons of these legends about guys coming back to their villages and finding out that either everyone they knew is dead. Right. Or they come back and life has moved on because they've been gone for a year. That's like that Disney movie. Did you ever see it? Flight of the Navigator? I did. I loved that That was movie. a great movie. And the kid comes back and now his little brother is his older brother. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, Close Encounters. Same yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, and, and actually, funny you bring movies up. That got me thinking about this because I I know a lot of the lore around fairy abduction um, involves eating something in the realm and then you have to stay. That's sort of the the, the thing we've right. Together. They almost try and trick you into eating something. right. Yeah. But have you seen the movie Interstellar? Yes. Shockingly, you have actually. Seen it. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Um, yeah. No, I'm legitimately shocked. <laughs> All right. Uh, but for those of our listeners who haven't seen it, Interstellar is about a team of astronauts searching for an Earth-like planet we can all escape to because we f***ed up this one. Right. And the first planet they investigate is a gamble because it's close to a black hole, and because of the gravitational anomalies caused by that black hole, time passes differently there than it does everywhere else. Right. So the amount of time they spend on that planet, if they go there, will actually be much, much more for everyone else. Right. It's something like an hour on the planet is five years to everyone else. A uh, seven. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And that got me thinking. If there is such a thing as a fairy realm and people who spend time there return to discover that years have passed in their own reality, maybe it's because there's some kind of anomaly on their side, some sort of gravity, some sort of distortion caused by a, some kind of anomaly. Well, and that also um, goes with the folklore about fairies living forever, um, because it would seem like forever. They wouldn't seem to age of course. to us yeah. if that was the case as well. And yeah, you know, it's funny, people... <laughs> People in England, uh, I know like my biological, I'm adopted and my biological mother very much believes 
in the good folk, right? And and talks about them with respect. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want to you don't want to piss off. The I debated actually when, when I was having coffee with Alexa last year. Um, I said we were debating not. Or I was debating not doing a fairy episode. Right. Because I didn't want to piss anything off. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I 100% believe these things, but yeah. uh, just in case. Well, it seems like a lot of things are covered under the fairy banner. That's the real kicker here. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we give it a handy label, but there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, and, and what you were saying earlier about the, the missing persons thing, the missing 411 thing. Yeah. I was kind of thinking, you know, there is... um. There are a lot of, one of the commonalities to missing 411 cases is that people go missing in fields full of granite boulders. Oh. Or where there's a lot of granite. Okay. And I looked up whether or not granite can cause, you know, some kind of gravitational anomaly. And I mean, it, it can, you know, in a minor, very, very small way. You know, the, the paper I was reading said to actually make some kind of actual gravitational anomaly, the, the size of the granite would have to be. Right. No, yeah, bigger than a mountain. You know, right, it's, it, it's, right. it's possible, but not not yeah. not like you have a little no. cube of it and it changes things. No, uh, but you do wonder if there is some kind of metaphysical property to that, which somehow it creates a sort of friction hmm. that then you know creates an anomaly, some kind of anomaly that allows for people to slip through. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because you wonder if these poor buggers who some of these poor buggers who are being missing four one one, the ones who are not recovered, yeah, just. Never find their way home? No, absolutely. Um, one more thing before we go, actually. I, I remembered I have a semi-creepy story from Ireland that's a little similar to what happened to Mark at Manananana. Manananana. All right, go on, please. This would have been the last time I was in Ireland, so sometime in late November 2008. At the time, I was staying in a hostel in Derry and doing the usual tourist things, walking around all day, then buying dinner and a few beers at Tesco before heading home. Uh, after spending a couple of days exploring the city, I decided to get out of town and ended up catching a local bus up to the town of Buncrana. Right. Uh, it's a sort of a, I guess, kind of a beach town. Uh, the, the guidebook said it was pretty and I figured I wasn't up to much else, so why not check it out? Uh, it was a gray, kind of crappy day and the windows of the bus were fogged to hell, so I had no idea when to get off the bus. But I, but I did keep listening for my stop. Uh, turns out they either didn't call it or I missed it. Right. Because after a while, I went up to the driver to ask when I needed to get off for Pungrana, and he, he said, well, yeah, you missed it a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and apparently the next bus coming the other direction wasn't scheduled for something like six hours. So I could either walk or hitchhike. And I, I want to say I was in the town of Clemeni uh, when I finally got off the bus. Well, how far away is that from where you wanted to be? Three and a half hours on foot. Oh, that's not good in a strange place in the rain. No, I probably wouldn't walk that if I knew the place. <laughs> I mean, you know, but yeah, no, strange place in the rain where you don't know where you're going. Yeah. Uh, so I put, I put my thumb out and yeah. I just eventually caught a series of rides and I ended up at uh, Grianon Park on Lough Swilly in Buncrana just after 4 p.m. And the sun was beginning to set. I remember it very distinctly. Oh no. It was gorgeous. Yeah. The sun had come out. It was clear. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of lucky. And so... On my way from the highway to the beach, I had bought a coffee, and that's the last time I remember seeing people hmm. for a while. From the coffee shop to the lock, if there were people, I had no longer remember them. Wow. And once I got to, I guess you call it the beach, it, or the park, rather, it got even stranger because, you know how I talk about that whole no sound thing in James Bay on some nights? Yeah, yeah. It was like that, hmm. except the sun was coming down, and the, which lengthened the shadows yeah. and gave everything this glow that was so golden it was almost sickly. I was standing in the parking lot next to the park 
when I noticed a black dog standing not far away. Right. I think it was a lab, but I think every black dog of medium height is a lab, so <laughs> I've been okay. Uh, so everything was silent, and just suddenly there was this dog. I didn't see where it had come from. It was shaggy and looked kind of wet or oily. Yeah. Staring right. at me. Now, I like dogs, so I tried greeting it, and it just right. kept staring. And so I started walking around, exploring the park, and this dog followed me. Wherever I went, there it was, maybe five, six feet away at most. That sounds weird, but okay. It, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> and, and it never got closer. And the, the couple times I tried to get closer to it, it started growling at me. Oh. So I just let it alone. But it- Caw. Yeah. <laughs> but it followed me all around the park. And after a while, it, it kind of started getting to me. This the silence, the fact right. I hadn't seen anyone, right. the dog. And I maybe started freaking out a little. Right. So up on the hill overlooking the lock was what looked like a, a grand hotel. Right. And I thought, ah, I'm going to go there, pay whatever they're asking for a beer, <laughs> and rejoin the world. Mm-hmm. The black dog followed me as I made my way there. But when I finally got to the hotel and looked for it, it was gone. And it's a wide open area. Yeah. So I should have, I, I mean, it could have just escaped my notice. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically, I should have seen it walking away. Yeah. Never saw it again. So that, that put me on edge. Yeah. And definitely. then the hotel made it worse because it was boarded up. <gasps> What? As in, like, clothes shut down? Yep. Oh, lordy. I found out later it was uh, it was a Loxwilly Hotel, and it had been closed for a long time. Oh, It actually Jesus. finally burned down in 2012. Oh, wow. Um, but finding out that what I thought was going to be my safe haven was, yeah. in fact, a very large and very empty building <laughs> no. didn't help my state no. of mind. So I kept walking, and it came to a long dock, which I now know is where Swilly Road dead ends. Right. So I stood on the dock looking out over the water, and in the distance I saw this enormous... Fog bank rolling in. Perfect. It literally looked like cotton wool being pulled towards me. I've never seen anything like that. It was right on the ground level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Then from nowhere, there were a bunch of cats around my feet. Jesus. Where the (laughs) hell did they come from? The rocks? I don't know. Wow. I know in Campbell River, there's supposedly feral cats living among the rocks in one part of the coast. Wow, cool. So it's not a no. Yeah, yeah. But it was a surprise. And wherever they had come from, that was it for me. Yeah. I was done. Oh, Jesus. So I I turned away from the fog bank, started walking up Swilly Road towards town. And as I did, the rain started coming back. And by the time I saw cars and people again, it was just pelting down. Yeah. So eventually I caught a couple rides back to Derry and that was the end of it. But I've always wondered if the strange feeling of that day was just me freaking myself out or if I wandered into something. I would guess you probably wandered into something. I, I That's my thought too. I mean, I did not have any interest in this kind of stuff back no, then. No, But still. It was a powerful moment. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it, it stayed with me. I think it's going to do it for fairies for the time being. I think it's a lot of material, a lot of yakking. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. There were a few things we didn't get to, um, but I think we'll save some of those for, for future episodes. Although I, I did want to share one story that um, we missed just because there wasn't really a place for it. And that was a story that Luke found for us about a, a banshee mm. or a banshee. Oh, a the, banshee. As the young lads were saying. Yeah, please, please um, tell us. So this story comes from his friend Kate, who is Irish but lives in England. She was 12 or 13 at the time, and her family were vacationing in Multifarnham in Westmeath. They were on a camping holiday. I, I don't know why anyone would do that, but apparently they were doing that. <laughs> near a monastery, and there's a, a forest and a lake as well. At 2 in the morning, she was trying to sleep when she heard this almighty wailing. Yikes. Like a woman screaming. Not good. But more shrill and feral. And she just froze and sat awake all night. She said it felt like it went on for hours. Oh, my God. She thought it was a banshee because, you know, being Irish, she'd heard these stories, and yeah. it just sounded like what you would expect that to sound like. Uh, apparently afterwards she heard an elderly man had died that night, but I don't know the specifics of how close right. that was. And she, she said she didn't, she never really felt threatened herself, but she was just disturbed by the fact she could hear it. You know, like that sense that you're seeing or hearing something that you should not be. Right. That you shouldn't be party to. Right. You know? And uh, she said it really reinforced her belief in Irish folklore. And the next day after she went into the woods and found a fairy fort. It seems like it may have been an area ripe for activity. Mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to her for going into the woods, for God's sake, after hearing that. <laughs> I'd be sticking close to the campsite. Yeah. 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 Next to my loaded gun. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, that'll help me. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. I mean, Kate didn't, I guess Kate technically submitted it. So thank yeah. you, Kate, for, for sending that in. Absolutely. Uh, if you have your own stories, we'd love to hear them. Send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com or on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to take a quick dive into our mailbag. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Our first email is from Rachel from Battle Creek. It's always nice to hear from her. Mm-hmm. And I was able to pronounce her, that properly this time without having to go back and forth several times. Nice so work. Kind of, thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, she, yeah, she wrote us and said she enjoyed episode 25. She's looking forward to another year of Ghost Story Guys. I, I am too. <laughs> as terrifying as that kind of seems sometimes. <laughs> And this past weekend, the snow melted, and she had a nice day in Michigan. So nice. she caught up on uh, caught up on some of our shows, including her favorite, which is apparently uh, episode four, Call of the Wendigo. Wow. Which is weird, because that's, that's old. I remember that. I yeah. like that one, too, actually. Well, the lore is interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Luke really wants us to revisit that, because he has apparently got a real interest in Wendigo lore. Cool. And has found some information. Nice. And so, yeah, so I, originally you may be in luck. We may be revisiting Wendigo at some point in the future. Or we will be revisiting Wendigo at some point in the Wendigo future. Wendigo part two. We dropped the ball a couple times on the uh, on the one-year anniversary episode. We missed two sets of stories. One is from Emmett, who sent us in a story. And uh, thank you so much for sending that in, Emmett. I, I apologize we didn't get it into our one-year anniversary episode. Mm-hmm. That was just, uh, again, I... I I'm sometimes very bad at organizing email, so Ian has to <laughs> Ian has to keep track of these things for me. But uh, we're going to hang on to your story, and we're going to tell it on a future episode when we have a little more time for uh, listener stories. Yeah. And uh, he says, please don't stop making the show. And I don't think that'll happen because uh, this keeps me sane. <laughs> as hard as it is to believe when it, I'm up at 3 in the morning trying frantically to learn about fairies, yeah. um, it, it still keeps me sane. So we're not going anywhere. Thank yeah. you so much, Emmett. Yeah. The other email we missed for the on the one-year anniversary episode was from Amanda. And um, we thankfully got a hold of her and said, you know, we're very sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did say we would tell her story on this episode, which is why we, we have to bump, uh, bump Emmett's this time. There you go. But um, Amanda said that she's had some activity in her house, and she says it's picked up quite a bit since she first told us about it. She's not sure if it's because she's thinking about it more or there's some external factor influencing it. 
but she does feel like it's more active. And she says the closet door in their bedroom keeps opening and she keeps seeing little fast flits of shadows out of the corner of her eyes. Um, unfortunately there is kind of a malevolent feeling there and she feels it getting a bit stronger. Uh, but thankfully it's staying upstairs for now. So she doesn't have to worry about it too much. And she also mentioned a story her boyfriend told her about the more malevolent being in the house. And apparently, I guess this happened a little while ago and his 13 year old son came into her boyfriend's 13 year old son came into his room to ask him a question when he found his father asleep with a black figure floating above him. Yeah, that's not cool. No, that's not okay at all. No. And uh, of course, yeah, his, his son was, was freaked right out. Yeah. But what's interesting is that her boyfriend also seems to be capable of astrally projecting. Wow. Yeah. The, the backstory is basically his friend Al is one who got him interested in astral projection and had him reading books about it, how to teach yourself to do it and all right. that stuff. Uh, but then one night he was sitting in his living room watching TV and Al shows up in the room and says, dude, I finally did it. I figured it out. And then he disappeared. That's awesome. I know, right? And then a couple of days later, Al called him to ask him, called him and asked him if he really did it. And of course, yeah, no, he had. Uh, another time she was saying her boyfriend was in jail and he was able to project himself and visit home. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she, he told her a story that uh, his then girlfriend called him and told him to stop coming to the house at night because it was freaking her out. <laughs> he would just show up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He apparently also has psychic dreams. Uh, what's interesting though, is she said that- um, he tries not to do these things because he finds them so draining. Right. Yeah. I've heard that. And it's interesting because I remember when I had my hypnotic regression, Yeah, I slept after that. I mean, you're lying in bed the whole time, right? But I was so tired after yeah. that. I, I was wiped right out for about a day and a half. Yeah. It was crazy. No, it makes sense. Thank you very much for sharing those, Amanda. There are a couple little bits and we're going to save those for a future episode. And our final email was from Carly and Carly, um, really shared some fascinating stuff with us. And, uh, we haven't responded yet, Carly. That's because we're, we're actually maybe looking at trying to find one or two resources for you to help you, uh, help you deal with these things you're going through. Uh, but again, thank you for trusting us with that. And we mm-hmm. will get back to you as soon as possible. Absolutely. And I think that's going to do it. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, and those things matter. I mean, yeah. and, and not just, uh, not just iTunes, Stitcher, places like that help as well. Yeah. Uh, but of course, iTunes is always the 800 pound gorilla and, yeah. and some people have left reviews and thank you very much. Awesome. You can find us on Facebook at the ghost story guys. Uh, we don't have an Instagram or Twitter. Well, we have a Twitter. We don't really use it, but if you want to reach us on either Instagram or Twitter, you can do that through me at largely the truth. Of course, if you want to send us an email directly, you can at ghost guys at gmail.com. And Ian does have Twitter, but he doesn't use it. So yeah, it's there, but yeah, you're better off trying yeah. to get a hold of, trying to get a hold of him through me Yeah, or through the Facebook page. He tends to answer most of those messages. Yeah. Uh, cause we, I think we had some more messages from Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah. great. Yeah. Thanks as always to Pizanta music for our fantastic theme song. You can always. find him online yeah. at soundcloud.com slash Pizanta music. Thank you to our special musical guest, Darko Richards. You can find him online at darkorichards.bandcamp.com. Uh, his debut album, Point of Departure, is available for purchase now. And I bought a copy. I really enjoyed it. I think you should too. And it's it's really pr- pretty cheap. I think uh, it's, again, I think the suggested purchase price is maybe 8 or 10 US. Nice. And you have your choice of uh, download formats or you can stream it. And he's also on Spotify and all the other major streaming platforms. It's a great album. Check it out. Thanks to Luke, our researcher. Any errors in this episode, you can blame on me. Uh, thanks to Rachel GW and Steve for some help they gave us in terms of um, some folklore and some some links. Yeah. A lot of the stuff we talked about, I wasn't able to fit into the show, and, but there was some great stuff. And I think that's going to do it. Sounds good. So we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, into the darkness we go.
Get out of oh, here. Oh, gross. <laughs> you were so gross. I know. It's really not a wonder why you were so lonely in high school. <laughs> got a different kind of parties than I do. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I wasn't allowed to use that. No, I think it's funny. Sweet. It's great. You're just trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> you should also talk about how much you hate Chinese people. <laughs> I think that's really current. I'm not falling for that's that really, again. That's really current right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's true. So it's really hard. Of course it is true. Well, I'm just saying it's really hard. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Weird, they're suing us. What yeah. <laughs> some of us. <laughs> our guest is oh our, musical our guest. musical guest yeah sorry I'm like wait what did i miss a surprise book? did i miss a book yeah he'll be here in 10 minutes <laughs> down he's jumping out of a cake what's <laughs> wrong with <laughs> sorry oh. okay i'm good I gotta try one more time. I keep. I'm not looking at no, you. No, uh, I'm going over here. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I'm turning off your mic. <laughs> <laughs> it won't help you. No, I know.